Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Hi, saints. I hope this day finds you and your family well. We have reached episode five, and I know that sounds a little familiar to you because last week, and let me take this time out to apologize, I said that we would conclude episode five on Sunday, but I didn't get a chance to record on Sunday. I do apologize to you guys for that because I know over 2,000 of you are following this series and to God be all the glory. You are seeking truth and this is learning Bible truth. So I appreciate each and every one of you. I thank God for you. And I uh, hope you continue to listen to this series. Now, we will complete episode five today and episode six tomorrow. And guess what? Next Saturday, we will conclude this series, First Samuel. Yes, I have determined that we can conclude it in seven episodes. So today, we will cover chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22, and 23. And tomorrow, hopefully, we will be able to cover chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27 during episode 6. And next Saturday, for episode 7, which is the final episode, hopefully, we will be able to cover chapters 28, 29, 30, and 31. Now, with that said, I am reading from the NASB today, which is the New American Standard Bible. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, let me explain why I gave the version of the Bible that I am using today. Because I typically switch up. Yes, I don't read from the same version every day for several reasons. Number one, not all of you are reading from the same version that I am reading from. So I want to give you guys the opportunity to follow along if I happen to be reading from the version you have. And number two, which can also be number one, is the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, some in Aramaic and some in Latin. Yes. And unfortunately, when the translators were translating from Hebrew to English, they didn't get all of these versions right. Yeah, that's true. So what I do is I study the Hebrew before I start a new episode and the versions of the Bible that are closest to Hebrew is the version of the Bible that I choose. And I have almost all of them. So, and yes, I studied Hebrew when I was studying for my degree. So this that's why I, I typically switch up versions. So today I will be reading from the NASB. It doesn't matter which version of the Bible you have, saints, because in the end, 
we will end up in the same place. Okay. Or we will be in the same place. Now, with that said, I hope you guys are tuned in to first Samuel chap chapter 19, and I will begin reading at verse one. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David, meaning he liked David. Now, at this point, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, episode four left off with Saul trying to kill David. And that's basically what um, from this point on to the very end of this series, it will be about Saul trying to kill David. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son. So now we just read verse one. Saul is no longer, you know, trying to hide uh, or cover his evil intent toward David, but ironically made known his intent to those who held David in, in high esteem. Yes, God in his mercy made sure that David had sympathetic ears within Saul's court to inform him of Saul's evil plan. God protected David. Now, for those of you who are not aware and you have not been following this series and you are tuning in for the first time, Saul was king, actually the first king of Israel. Yes, the people wanted a king and God gave him a king. But Saul turned out to be the worst thing that could ever have happened to Israel. Saul did not obey God. So what God did was reject Saul, take his spirit from Saul and remove Saul as king of Israel. However, Saul didn't leave the kingship. No, he didn't leave what we would call today his office. No, he is there against God's will. Okay, he is still acting as king because he is a hate-filled, jealous-filled, and self-servant person. He is evil from the inside out. And he know that God chose David. Yes, God chose David to be his successor. Okay, David is the king of Israel right now, but he's not in office because Saul won't leave and Saul is trying to kill him. Now, here's the thing. Saul is trying to kill David before we move to verse two for several reasons. And I'm just sharing this for those of you who are tuning in for the first time. But with that said, I suggest that you go all the way back to episode one and then catch up, okay, after listening to uh, today's episode and then catch up to where we are. Now, Saul want to kill David, number one, because God removed his spirit from Saul and chose David as king of Israel and Saul doesn't want to give up that power. Number two, he liked uh, David initially. But when David defeated Goliath, okay, and David is a young warrior. Uh, once you catch up on the episodes, you will find David is a young warrior. And the people started praising David and they had some women come out to the street. And this sounds comical, but it's real. Okay, this actually happened and started singing. Uh, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands and Saul became enraged because of that and he knew that David is the next king of Israel so after that though that song hit something it hit the evil core in Saul's heart and ever since then he's been trying to kill David 
Okay. Poor little David. And David is so respectful. He loved God. He is a man of God. That's why he is also known as a man after God's own heart. And so let's, let's continue um, with verse two, because it's a lot of commentary I want to share, but let me share that commentary as we get to those scriptures. Okay. Verse two. So Jonathan told David saying, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on God in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. Now, for those of you who want to judge Jonathan for going against his father, let me tell you something. When you are a man of God, you don't side with evil, no matter who the evil is coming from. And in this case, Jonathan knows his father is trying to kill David for no reason at all. David hadn't done anything. His father's trying to kill David because he doesn't want to be removed from office. But how many of us know we can't fight God? But that is where John, uh, not Jonathan, but Saul had lost his mind thinking he can fight against God and kill whom God had chosen to be the next king of Israel. He actually thinks in his delusional mind that he could kill David. Oh, but God, how many of y'all know God will protect whom he put in place to share his word and carry out his mission? How many of y'all know that? Okay, now we are going to move on to verse three. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about, about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Now here, Jonathan is telling David, look, let me go talk to my father about you. And whatever I find out, whatever my father shares with me, I'm going to share it with you because Jonathan really likes David. If you look at the latter part of verse one, it says, but Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan really likes David because he knows that David has a good heart and David is a good young man. He was a very young man, but he had a heart for God. Um, now let's pick up at verse three. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Verse four. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant. Now, Jonathan is standing up to his father. Since he has not sinned against you, Jonathan is telling his father, King Saul, in his own mind, because God had removed him. I want to keep reminding you guys of that. He is in office as king because he refuses to leave. But God had removed him. Okay. Um, since he has not sinned against you and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. What Saul, not Saul, what, what Jonathan is telling his father is that David hadn't done anything. You know, what's wrong? he hadn't sinned against you. He hadn't sinned against Israel. He hasn't done anything to harm you. As a matter of fact, he has been beneficial to you, meaning the wars that David was sent out to lead to fight against the Philistines or Philistines. Those of you who's been following the series, I, I've said and mentioned in the past episodes that Philistine or Philistine, they are both correct. That is the uh, correct pronunciation. Okay. I use Philistine the majority of the time. And sometimes I say Philistines, but what he is saying is that David has been beneficial to you, meaning one wars on his father's behalf, you know, to save Israel. Verse five, for he took his life in his hand and struck down the Philistines. 
and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. I just explained that to you. You saw it and rejoiced. When then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Sinning against innocent blood, let me tell you something, is an abomination to the Lord. You killing innocent people who, has not who hasn't done you anything or hasn't been found guilty of anything and you trying to kill them. That still stands today. Mm -hmm. That still stands today. Verse six, Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. He listened to his son and Saul vowed as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Now, I want you to listen to what Saul just told his son. He said, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Who is he? David. But let me tell you, there's some truth and there's a lie in what Saul just said. The truth is David ain't going to be put to death. That's the truth because God is protecting David. Where the lie comes in at is that he is trying to insinuate or imply to his son, Jonathan, that he's not going to go after David anymore. He's not going to try to kill David. That's a lie. OK, because Saul had devoted the, the rest of his life to trying to kill David. But you can't kill what God has blessed and what God and whom God has chosen to do his work. You, you, you can't kill them. You can't harm them. OK, verse seven. Then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as formerly. Verse eight. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with the great slaughter so that they fled before him. Here is another um, time where David went out to fight against the Philistines who kept trying to attack Israel uh, and defeating them because God was with David. Okay. Uh, verse nine. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul. As he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, let me make a, a correction here. When the Bible says, especially in, in the Old Testament, remember Hebrew translated to English, the translators just didn't get this right. Okay. Because God is not associated with evil. So reading this verse, it makes it appear that God put an evil spirit on Saul. That's not what this is, is actually saying. And this is where teaching come in at. OK, God is not associated with evil. What this means is Saul thought about God removing him as king. OK, and to Saul, an evil spirit came uh, within him, but it wasn't God who put the evil spirit there. OK, so let's read verse nine over. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing the harp. With his hand, you know, David was also a musician. He wasn't just a great warrior. He wasn't just a great king. He was a musician who loved to play music and he loved to dance to the music played unto the Lord. Now, verse 10, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped. He who? David slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear. Who is he? Saul struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. So Saul lied to his son, Jonathan. When Saul sat there and looked at David and realized that David was his successor, 
that God chose David and that God was with David and was no longer with him, his evil heart went after David with all he had. But I will say this again, your arms are too short to box with God. Okay. God protected David. Verse 11. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, who, who was uh, David's wife and Saul's daughter, uh, David's wife told him saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. She knew her father was trying to kill her husband, David. Okay. All Saul thought about was himself. He cared. He didn't care anything about his daughter. He didn't care anything about his son. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he didn't care anything about himself anymore. All he cared about was him being king of Israel and had that power. Yes, had that power and was trying to rule over Israel for eternity. But all he had to do was listen and obey God. He didn't. So when he disobeyed God, he was removed as king. Okay, so God ain't on the side of evil presidents or evil kings. Okay, that's one of the reasons why I chose this series. Um, verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window and he went out and fled and escaped that he is David. Michael took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. Now, um, let me explain what the household idol is. Now, the writer of Samuel draws a parallel between David, Michael, Saul, and, and Jacob, Rachel, and Laban, okay, in that both Rachel and Michael, who are females, employ the use of household gods, okay, in trickery and out of loyalty for their husbands rather than their fathers. And you can read and cross-reference this with, with Genesis chapter 31, verses 30 through 35. Yes, you can read about that. Um, verse 14, when Saul sent messenger, messengers to take David, she said he is sick. Who is she? Michael. She told her father that David was sick. Then verse 15, then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me on his bed that I may put him to death. Do you see how evil Saul is? Even after his, his daughter, David's wife, whom he gave to David in marriage, to be his son-in-law, um, he didn't care. He didn't care that that was his daughter's husband and that David was his son-in-law and that David was a very nice young man and hadn't done him anything. He still wanted to kill David out of jealousy, hate, and rage. Okay, verse 16. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with the quilt of goat's hair at its head. Verse 17. So Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? Now, number one, David is not Saul's enemy. You have to remember Saul is delusional. Okay. He is self-serving. He is narcissistic. That is what you are going to see as we complete this series. David, not David, Saul is narcissistic. David is loving and kind and still knowing that Saul was trying to kill him still showed Saul respect, the utmost respect. 
Okay, still viewed Saul as a king, still viewed him as God's anointed, even though God removed his anointing from Saul. Okay, and uh, so let's, let's, uh, I don't want to prolong on verse 17 too long. So let me repeat 17, then we will move on to, to verse 18. So Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael said to Saul, her father, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, the prophet at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naathot. Verse 19. It was told Saul saying, behold, David is at Naathot in Ramah. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the, com the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. This was another example of God protecting David. God put his spirit on those messengers of Saul so that they would not harm David. And they didn't even go back and tell Saul where David was. Verse 21, when it was told Saul, it doesn't say who told Saul, but it said when it was told Saul, meaning someone told Saul about this. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Verse 22, then he himself, Saul, went to Ramah and came as far as the Lord's well that is in Siku. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. He proceeded, he is Saul, he proceeded there to Naoth. In Rama, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. Now, this is the last time you will ever see the Spirit of God come upon Saul, but he came upon Saul to make sure David was protected. Okay, so uh, let me read that again. He, Saul, proceeded there to Naoth in Rama, and the Spirit of God came upon him, him who Saul also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth in Rama. Verse 24, he also, he who saw stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Who is they? The, pe the people that saw. Now, Saul removed his armor and royal garments. Okay, you can cross reference, you know, Jonathan, what he said in 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 4. Prompt by the spirit of God, therefore signifying God's rejection of Saul as king over Israel. Okay. Now without the royal garment, Saul was figuratively naked. He wasn't bare naked. Like, you know, you, people say you got on your birthday suit. When you come out of your mother, you butt naked. No, he was naked of his garments. Um, so perhaps so, so overwhelmed by the spirit of God as to be in a deep sleep. Other than Saul's utter uh, despair and, and pitiful state, this is the last time you will see Saul appear to be humbled. But you have to remember the spirit of God came upon him so he wouldn't harm David. This was God 
or one of the many methods that God used to protect David. Okay. Um, where did we, we stop at? You know, I go into commentary and I just lose myself. Let's do uh, verse 24 again, since I just explained the commentary of verse 24. He also stripped off his clothes, meaning his armor. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked at that day and all that night. Therefore, they say is Saul also among the prophets. No, of course, Saul wasn't. Now, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth in Roma and came and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity and why is my sin before your father that he is seeking my, my life? So what David is asking Jonathan, look, what have I done? What did I do? Why on earth is your father trying to kill me? This is how naive David was. He, David was very naive and gullible, but he was obedient to God. I can tell you that he just wanted to know why was Saul trying to kill him? It didn't dawn on him because God had chosen him to be king of Israel and rejected Saul. It didn't dawn on him. Saul was just being venge vengeful and hateful. That didn't dawn on David. Cause, because David didn't see Saul that way, even though he knew for a fact, he knew more than Jonathan, his son, Saul's son. He knew that, that Saul was trying to kill him. David just wanted to know, I mean, what did I do? Did I do your father anything? So let's pick, pick up at verse two. He, Jonathan said to him, David, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So remember the conversation Jonathan had with his father and his father said, as long as the Lord lives, J David shall not die. Remember that? So that was the last conversation that Jonathan had with his father about David. His father basically promised Jonathan that he wasn't going to harm David. So that's why he was a little baffled when David asked, asked him this question. You know, he's saying it himself, you know, my father doesn't do anything, you know, this big without saying something to me. And his father doesn't do anything small without telling Jonathan because Jonathan was a part of the army. You know, even though Saul was his father, he was still a part of the army. He led a certain part of the army. And so uh, that's why Jonathan made that statement to David. Verse three, yet David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this or he will be grieved. So David is telling Jonathan, the reason your father haven't told this to you, because your father knows that you like me and you will be upset. That's what David is saying. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives. There is hardly a step between me and death. So what David is saying here, trust me as your soul lives. Uh, trust me. Your father is trying to kill me. That is what David is saying. Verse four. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Verse five. So David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. The reason why David is saying this, because um, the new moon was a, a, a one day festival that Saul had turned into a three day festival. OK, so that's why um, David said the third evening. Um, verse six. 
If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. David is given uh, Jonathan a story to tell his father. Verse seven, if he says it is good, your servant will be saved. But if he is very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Okay. See, David knew he had great discernment, but he just couldn't figure out why in the world was Saul trying to kill him. <laughs> Poor baby. Verse eight, therefore deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, this David talking to Jonathan, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? David is saying, look, if I've done evil, you can kill me. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, why then should you bring me to your father? You know, if, if, if I haven't done anything evil in your sight, then I'm good. Protect me from your father. That's basically what David is saying. Okay, and you better believe Jonathan is going to protect David. And if it was me in Jonathan's shoes, I would do the exact same thing. I would fight against my evil father. That is what I would do. I'm on God's side. I don't side with man on nothing. I side with God. Verse nine, Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Because Jonathan and David were close, very close, close to the point where they have some, uh, may God forgive them, who think Jonathan and David were in a relationship. No, they weren't. No, they were not. They were just best friends and they really loved each other as if they were soul brothers. Yeah, yeah. Verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Verse 11, Jonathan said to David, come and let us go out into the field. So both of them went out to the field. Verse 12, then Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness, is going to witness this covenant that Jonathan and David are about to make. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? Verse 13, if it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. If I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. Jonathan has sworn to protect David. Okay. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Meaning when God was with his father. His, his God protected his father when when his father was king uh, under God's authority. OK, but not anymore. OK, not anymore. Verse 14. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? Now. Right here, Jonathan acknowledged that David would one day be Israel's king. OK, with that in mind, Jonathan requested protection from from David and his family uh, when David took the throne. OK, because Jonathan knows David will be king. When God says you are going to be something, you are going to be something and man can't stop it. OK, so Jonathan knows this. 
So, and just so you won't misunderstand when I said with that in mind, Jonathan requested protection from him, uh, from him, that him is David and his Jonathan's family with David, when David take, takes the throne. Okay. That is what, what Jonathan is talking about. He and David are making a covenant. Okay. Verse 15. Again, you shall not cut off your loving, your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, because it's going to come a time when God cut off all the enemies of David. Okay. Cause David is going to be King. I just want y'all to understand that. Okay. Um, verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Now, this covenant was not only binding on Jonathan and David, but also upon the descendants of each, meaning David and Jonathan. You can uh, also go back to, uh, we haven't gotten there yet. That's right. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter nine, verses one through eight for the account of David's kindness, his kindness to the descendant of Jonathan in fulfillment of this covenant. Okay. Now, David's enemies, let, let me elaborate a little bit more about that. Jonathan perceived that among David's adversaries, who would be cut off when he became king was his own father. Yes, Jonathan knew that his father was going to be cut off as well. So Jonathan sided with God and against evil, which is what his father represented. Okay, so let's pick up um, at verse 16 again. Okay, um, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Verse 17, Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him. Uh, Jonathan's love for David because he loved him as he loved his own soul. Okay, verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. Verse 19, when you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day. Um, and you shall remain by the stone Ezel, E-Z-E-L. Now, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to give a commentary on that. That that's really not important. Um, at this time, verse 20, I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target right here. Jonathan is telling David a sign he is going to give, uh, whether or not his father is not going to try to kill him or whether or not his father is going to try to kill him and that David should just flee. Okay. So that is what verses 20, 21 and 22 are about. Um, so let me just skip to verse 23. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Verse 24. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. Verse 25. The king sat on his seat as usual. The seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat down by Saul's side. But David, uh, but David's place was empty. See, David was supposed to be there too. But David is not a fool. He may be naive, but he's not a fool. And Abner is Saul's cousin who is also a part of the army. Verse 26. 
Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought it is an accident. He is not clean. He's talking about David. Now, if you are wondering why Saul uh, mentioned the unclean thing, you can go and read about this in Leviticus in, uh, chapter 7, verse 20 and verse 21 and chapter 15, verse 5. And uh, we read about this uh, in chapter 16, verse 5 in 1 Samuel. You can go back and cross-reference this just so that you can have a better understanding of an unclean thing. But who is more unclean than Saul? I'll look silence for reflection. I'll wait. Who is more unclean than Saul? So um, let's pick up at verse 27. It came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse, talking about David, not come to the mill either yesterday or today? So now Jonathan is going to uh, tell his father what David told him to say. Verse 28, Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked, asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, where David is from. Verse 29, for he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Now, here is where Jonathan is getting ready to see the evil heart of his father. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan and he said to him, You son of a, of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? So Saul wasn't really talking bad about um, Jonathan's mother. He was referring to Jonathan as being bad. Okay. And that um, Jonathan's actions in Saul's eyes shamed his mother. Okay. That is what he is talking about. Verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, Neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. So when Saul said, neither you nor your uh, kingdom will be established, he knows right here. He knows God chose David to be king. And he is defying and fighting against God right here. This is God's battle. But like I said before, our arms are too short to box with God. So Saul is delusional. He is an evil, evil king. But remember, the children of Israel asked for a king. Okay, that was the children of Israel's king. David is God's king. When God choose someone, they do right by man. When God puts someone in, in leadership, they don't put the rich over the poor. They don't put the rich over the middle class. They treat everyone equally. Okay, they do not put rich people above everyone. That's not God. Mm -mm, God doesn't think like that. That's man and his evil ways because they worship money and they worship power. Okay. And they despise the poor and the middle class. But God doesn't despise the poor and the middle class. God has issue with the rich who allows money to be their God. That is what God has a problem with. And God has an issue with someone who worships power. Like the president of the United States. He will not concede that he lost the election and that the people 
chose Joe Biden. But what he don't know and will never know and what most people will never understand is that God had a hand in this because God has a lot of people in America who prayed with tears on their knees. And I'm not afraid to say I was one of them that that God intervened and removed Trump from office. I prayed day and night. And when I had a breakthrough, it was before the election. God said, I have heard y'all prayers. I have answered. Trump will be removed. So God removed Trump. And let me tell you, right now, Trump is fighting against God, just like Saul is. But when you fight against God, you lose. You lose. He Trump is delusional, just like Saul is delusional. There was no fraud in this election. If the Republicans had their way, it would have been fraud. The problem is this was the most watched election in history. OK, because we knew the Republicans were trying to suppress votes that was going to go toward Joe Biden. That's sad. And let me make this clear for the record. I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I choose was right. And I saw the evil in Trump. Everyone else saw it. But those who love evil supported Trump. No one in their right mind would have voted for Trump. Sure enough, not a Christian. Sure enough, not a Christian. He openly lies on a regular basis. He will not accept responsibility for his actions. That is what narcissistic people do. And he's doing that now. He refused to accept or even say he lost that election. He refused to say it. Okay, now you have a chance with your billionaire status to just go on. Just move on and let Joe Biden and his team try to give us some respect back. Some because the, the United States has lost all of its respect with other nations. All of it is gone. Oh, yes. So Joe Biden has a tough job on his hand. But thank God for Kamala Harris, who used to be an attorney general and a prosecutor. So let's move forward. Verse 32. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be put to death? Talking about David. What has he done? He's asking his evil, delusional father, what on earth has David done to you? Then Saul, verse 33, then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down at his son. He hurled a spear at his son, Jonathan, trying to kill him because he asked, what on earth has David done to you? What? Why are you trying to kill him? But that's what narcissists do. You ask them a rational question and my God, you will see that anger build up. They won't never answer the question uh-uh, mm -mm. because they know he knows and, and narcissists know that they don't have a rational answer other than their own evil, hateful heart. That's it. Verse 33 again, then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Now Jonathan knows. Yes, that David knew exactly what he was talking about. David told a man, look, your, your dad trying to kill me. I don't know why, but your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan like, no, uh, -uh. you know, Jonathan reflecting on that conversation he had back with his dad, where his dad said, no, I won't put him to death. You know, no, no, he will not die. And I told you there was some truth to that and a lie. The truth is, no, he ain't going to die because God going to protect him. The lie is that Saul knew good and well he was going to continue to try to kill David. Verse 34, then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger 
and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon. For he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Oh, yes. His father had lied to Saul. Okay. Verse 35. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David. Remember, he um, promised to meet David the next day to let him know what he found out with his father. And a little lad was with him, the little boy that he was going to send back and forth. And I skipped those scriptures um, because to me, it just didn't make sense for me to read them. It was um, Saul telling David, this is what I'm going to do. So you won't have to come out of hiding. I'm going to send a little lad past you and let, let me pick up right here so you can understand what um, the scriptures that I skipped were about. Verse 36. He said to this lad, run fine now the arrows uh, which I am about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. Verse 37, when the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? That mean that, yeah, my father is going to kill you, man. You better get out of here. That's what that meant uh, for David. Verse 38, and Jonathan called after the lad, hurry, be quick, do not stay. That means you better get out of Dodge, uh, David. Um, and Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. Came to his master. Uh, verse, 39, verse 39, but the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Verse 40, then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go bring them to the city. Verse 41, when the lad was gone, David rose from the south, the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times to Jonathan. And they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept more right here. Uh, some was saying that, you know, David and Jonathan, you know, they were in a, 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 a sexually immoral relationship. No, they weren't. You don't read nothing right th like that here. It's okay for men to love they fellow brother in Christ and in the Lord enough to hug and kiss. Remember the apostle Paul said, greet each sister and brother with a kiss. Okay. And that was done even in the old Testament and it continues today. Well, I mean the uh, coronavirus right now is, is preventing people from hugging and kissing, but uh, not with me 100% because there are some people I still will hug and kiss and I trust God to protect me. You don't have to understand that. I understand it. Okay. But no, Jonathan and David were not gay. You got to remember God chose David to be king over Israel. Now, verse 42. And now the end of verse 41 says that David wept the more. Now, verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in safety. Inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord saying the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Uh, then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. So David got out of Dodge. Yes, he did. Uh, chapter 21. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Oh, this is getting ready to get sad people. I mean, the evil heart of, of Saul is getting ready to show. Okay. Um, I, it, I struggled studying this, but it happened. I don't question God as to why he allows stuff to happen, 
But this is getting ready to be very sad. Verse 1 of chapter 21. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Now, I, I want to bring your attention to Ahimelech doesn't know Saul is seeking David to kill him. He doesn't know any of that. Ahimelech is a priest, not one of the crooked priests. You don't read anywhere in the Bible where he was a crooked priest. He is a priest of God back then when God was using priests. Okay. Uh, verse two, David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and, and with which I have commissioned you. And I have the, the, uh, directed the young men to a certain place. So David just, and, and I, it's no way I can put it. He just lied to the priest. He didn't want to even, you know, bash Saul as king by telling the priest that Saul was trying to kill him for no reason at all. You know, innocent blood, trying to shed innocent blood. So he thought it best to just not tell the priest the truth. Okay. And that is going to be a deadly mistake. Um, verse three, he's saying he, why he was alone. He sent, you know, his, his men to another place. <sighs> verse three. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. So David was hungry. Okay. Uh, verse four, the priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is a consecrated bread. Uh, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. Now, let me, and we are going to go over an hour today, uh, saints, because I want to make sure I complete chapters um, 22 and 23. Okay. Now, consecrated bread. Um, the consecrated bread was, was set apart for use in the tabernacle to be eaten only by the priest. Okay. And you can read about that in Exodus 25 verse 30, Leviticus 24 verses five through nine. Okay. Ahimelech sought the Lord and received approval. Okay. When he recognized that his spiritual obligation to preserve David's life superseded the ceremonial regulation concerning who could eat the consecrated bread. Now, if you can recall back in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse three and four, and I think Mark chapter two, verse 25 and 26, Jesus Christ talked about this when the Pharisees was judging Jesus for doing work on the Sabbath day. And that his disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath day and Jesus corrected them. Jesus referred to this scripture in first Samuel. This is what Jesus was talking about. Cause see, Jesus knew the scriptures better than everybody. Cause he, the one led these prophets to write them. Okay. Yes. Jesus Christ, the son of God was the one. He was not on the earth in the flesh back then, but he was the one speaking to the prophets. Okay. He was the one sending men to protect David. So Jesus referred back to, uh, first Samuel. Yeah. And said, don't y'all remember that, um, David ate the showbread in the tabernacle. And I'm paraphrasing here, but this is what Jesus said. 
I tell you what, let's let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and 3 and 4 and talk about what what Jesus said. Okay? Um in in Matthew chapter 12 verses 3 and 4, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees here who um and let me read starting from verse 1 in Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Verse two. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Jesus, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. Now, Jesus is getting ready to set them straight. Okay. Verse three. But he, he who Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions. Verse four how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which is also considered to be holy bread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or have you not read verse five? Uh, I'm reading verse five now. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Verse six, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is saying right here that I'm greater than the Sabbath day. The Pharisees who's supposed to be so holy, who didn't know the scriptures, didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus is saying the Sabbath was created for man. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is saying. So I might as well um, read verse seven of Matthew 12. But if you had known what this means, I desire com compassion and not a sacrifice. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying uh, this. Uh, look, compassion, if someone is hungry, you feed them. It doesn't matter what they did on the Sabbath. If his, if his disciples were hungry, they were going to eat. Okay, so that's why I shared that. I shared that so that you can know that Jesus referred to this scripture in 1 Samuel 21 verse 4. Okay. When he was talking to the Pharisees. So let me read four again and we can continue. The priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. And, and we just read the consecrated bread was set apart just for the, the priest. The consecrated bread was the holy bread, but David was hungry. Okay. Compassion over sacrifice. Okay. If only the young men have kept themselves from, from women. Now, what, what is he talking about this? Now, though this was not a, a spiritual mission or religious journey, David and his men were ceremonially clean. Now, if you want to read about being ceremonially clean, you can cross-reference this with Exodus chapter 19, verse 15. Okay, now let's pick up at verse 5. David answered the priest and said to him, surely women have, have been kept from us as previously when I set out and when I set out and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was not an ordinary journey, how much more than today will their vessels be holy? And I just explained about, um, it may not have been an ordinary journey or a spiritual journey they were still ceremonially clean. Okay, verse six. So the priest gave him, him who David consecrated bread, for there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, 
which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Verse seven. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that that day detained before the Lord and his name was Doeg, the Edomite or e or either Edomite, but it's Edomite. We're going to stick with that. The chief of Saul's shepherds. Verse eight, David said to Ahimelech, now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? Because David didn't have anything with him to protect himself. For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's matter was urgent. And remember, he lied to Ahimelech, the priest, about Saul. He didn't want to badmouth Saul to anyone. That is how pure uh, David's heart was. Okay, verse nine. Then the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other except it here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish or Achish said to him, is not, is this not David, the king of the land? They knew David was king of the land. They knew God had chosen David. Isn't that something? Did they not sing of this one as they danced saying, now here's where they are mocking uh, David. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And that is what set the crazy, hate-filled, delusional Saul, enraged and outraged to kill David. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, uh, king of Gath. So this is what David did, y'all. Verse 13, so he disguised his sanity, David did, before them and acted insanely in their hands. David was super smart, okay? Um, and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down his face into his beard. Verse 14, then Akish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Verse 15, do I lack madmen? So the king is saying, I got enough madmen in my company <laughs> and in my army. Uh, that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence. Shall this one come into my house? Also, one of the reasons David did this is because at that time, and so it is today, they didn't harm people who suffer from mental illness. Okay. They didn't. So David decided to act like he had mental illness. <laughs> oh, but he was cunning. You do whatever you have to do to, to survive. Okay. Uh, verse one of chapter 22, we have chapter 22 and I hope I have enough gas in the tank to finish 23 and that way we will be on schedule. Okay. Verse one of chapter 22. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Verse two, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became the captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him that him is David. 
Verse three, and David went from there to Mitzvah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. David is protecting his family. Now, the reason he went to Moab, David has a connection with uh, the tribe of, of Moab. They were Moabites. Okay. Remember his great grandmother, Ruth. And I will say this every time I say Ruth's name, it was from uh, the Moabites. She was from Moab because she was a Moabite who were descendants of Canaan, who is the son of Ham, who represents all black people. Ruth was black. So David has black in him. David was not European white. And every opportunity I have to share that, to clarify that and to set some people straight who tried to make this Bible white, I will do it. Okay, that is the connection he had with the Moabites. Moabites are black people. His great-grandmother Ruth and his great-grandfather Boaz, who was Ruth's husband. Boaz came from Judah, but Boaz wasn't all uh, European white either. He was a Jew, but you got to remember, they mixed ethnicities back in the biblical days. So no one is pure. But we have people today still trying to make this Bible white. And as a result, I hate to digress here, but, but the Holy Spirit is telling me to share this. As a result, people are leaving Christ. Jesus don't have nothing to do with these racist people. That's American born. There was never, if, they, if there was never racism in this Bible. Discrimination, yes. Racism, no. Discrimination because people were not worshiping the true and living God. That's it. That's it. So King David had Ruth's blood in him. Ruth is a black woman. She's a Moabite. Search your history and the history of David like I did. I research everything I read. So anything you hear me saying pertaining to this Bible, you better believe I know where it's written at. That's why I give you scriptures to cross-reference. I did a whole episode on Ruth. So those of you who want to listen to that episode, you go look through, go to my podcast, look through the episodes and the story of Ruth. You can read about that. Ruth is a black woman. And Jesse came from Ruth and Boaz. Jesse is David's father. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know some of you, you, your mouth is on the floor, but pick it up. Just receive the truth and let the Bible speak for itself. So there's a reason why David trusted the Moabites and went to Moab. It's a reason he did that because that's the roots of his grandmother, his great-grandmother and great-grandfather, Ruth and um, Boaz. Now let's pick up at verse four. Then he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold, which was a protective place for David. Verse five, the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth, which is another name for, for Judah. And I think Judea. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a location in Judah. And that's why it's another name for Judah. Okay. Um, verse six, then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. 
and all his servants were standing around him. Saul still looking for an opportunity to kill David. Unbelievable. Whew. Verse 7, Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to, to all of you fields and vineyards? So now he's trying to plead his case as to why he's trying to kill David, uh, asking them, will it, if David become king, he's not mentioning that here, but that's what this is talking about. Will he give you uh, fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Saul was something else, something else. I mean, the epitome of evil. Verse eight, for all of you have conspired against me. This is delusional mind talking so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush at it is this day. Now Saul just told a humongous lie. Do you hear me? He's saying that David and his son has conspired against him and lying in wait to kill him when in fact David running from Saul. David is running from Saul, but what you are seeing here, and hearing here, seeing if you are reading it with me and hearing if you are hearing me read these scriptures is what a narcissist does. They refuse to accept responsibility for their own behavior. They, ex they, they, they refuses to accept defeat. Okay. That God had rejected him. God now, the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. God rejected him and removed him. This had nothing to do with David. But he can't fight God, so he's trying to kill God's anointed. But God is protecting David all the way because David will be king. Okay, verse 9. Then Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. Now, here's where it's starting to get sad. I guess you guys were wondering when we were going to get there. Here we go. It's going to be difficult for me to read it, but I'm going to read it because you need to hear it. Verse 10, he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now, David is the one who killed Goliath. Okay. To protect Israel and to protect Saul. Okay. And, um, <laughs> here we go. Uh, verse 11, then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub and all his father's household, the priest who were in Nob and all of them came to the king. They, they, you know, Saul summoned for them and they came. You have to remember Ahimelech knew nothing of this. He didn't know Saul was trying to kill David and David sure enough wasn't seeking Saul. David had lied to him and said he was on a mission from Saul. That Saul has sent him on a mission and, and he sent his, his troops, in other words, elsewhere. Verse 12, Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, here I am, my Lord. Now the priest said, my Lord, because remember I told you, Lord, in the Old Testament with a lowercase l, uh, means someone in authority. So Ahimelech looked to Saul as being the king. Okay, verse 13, then Saul said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Now, we didn't read nowhere where the priest conspired against Saul. Saul is delusional. Okay, 
in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him. Meaning the priest prayed uh, to God and God gave the approval to give uh, David the showbread or the consecrated bread. Okay. So that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day. Did you hear that lie? I want to bring this to the forefront because they have people who are delusional who read this Bible and they read it as if God was on Saul's side. Yeah. Some of you may have heard that, but as you can clearly see, God, it was, he is not on Saul's side. He's on David's side. Saul is a liar. Okay. Just like Trump, the American president who refuses to concede to Joe Biden, president elect Trump is still on television, uh, claiming widespread fraud. Even the head of the department of justice, William Barr, who Trump personally elected to be the head of the department of justice came on national television and said, no, there is no widespread fraud. Trump is just saying this because narcissists, it is impossible for a narcissist to accept defeat. And y'all are seeing it firsthand firsthand. I mean, it's just so painful for me to know that Americans put this demon in office. If you didn't know how he was, okay, you get a pass, but now you know how he is the four years he was in office. You know how he is now. He's a liar. It's impossible for him to tell the truth. He makes statements with no facts to back it up. None. You have to have facts when you go to court. Why do you think some of these honest judges just threw it out when they filed lawsuits in Pennsylvania and Georgia claiming fraud at these polls? There was no fraud. They attached no facts to it. So he need to accept defeat and the people around him are enabling him to do this. They are enabling him to show his mental illness. Shame on them all because of money. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about money. Now, let's go to, to uh, verse 14. Then Elimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Even the priest, God's priest is saying David was faithful. He didn't know anything about what, what uh, Saul is saying conspiring with David, lying in wait to ambush me, man, the king was delusional. You hear me? Um, let me pick up again in verse four. And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law? What Elimelech is saying, he's your son-in-law who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house. David was over the bodyguards of the king. Yes. And Elimelech, everybody knew this. So why is Saul trying to kill him? Now, this is the man of God, the priest talking. And I want to want to bring this back to your attention. Saul is not a man of God. Saul was removed as king, but refused to leave the office. OK, and his rage, just like we see happening with Trump, his rage is getting worse and worse. And it's getting ready to get even more sad. Listen. Verse 15, did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. So Elimelech is saying, is this my first time praying for David? No, I've always prayed for David. Uh, do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father. For your servant knows nothing at all of, of this whole affair. 
Elimelech is saying, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about lying in wait with, with, with David to ambush you. I don't know what you're talking about. And Elimelech is not lying. We heard David give Elimelech a story, you know, basically to protect Elimelech and not bash Saul because that was David's good heart. He didn't want to bash Saul because Saul was still the king. You know, he was still in office, even though God moved him. But that wasn't in David's heart to bash Saul. And David was running from Saul. He wasn't chasing Saul. Um, verse 16. But the king said, you shall surely die, Elimelech, you and all your father's household. You, you, it's getting sad. It's getting it's getting ready to be harsh. Uh, this delusional man and the people around him enabled him to do this. Uh, verse 17. And the king said to the gods who were attending him, they were with him, turn around and put the priest of the Lord to death. He asked these men to turn around and put the priest of the Lord with a capital L, the priest of the living God, to death. Mm, my Lord, because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. Now, he just con contradicted what his own words. First, they were lying in wait to ambush Saul. Now he's saying that the priest knew David was fleeing from him. The priest didn't know that. The, the priest didn't know that David was running from Saul because David never told him. OK, but the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priest of the Lord. These servants said, no, we're not doing it because they knew Saul was wrong. But what they should have done was grab Saul and put his tail in a cell. That's what they should have done, because without his army, Saul was nothing. He was nothing. He had no special powers. He wasn't a prophet. He was a defeated king who refused to leave office and refused to admit defeat. OK, verse 18. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priest. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned around and attacked the priest. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen of ephod. That means 85 priests. Saul ordered the Edomite to kill and he did it. But the servants of Saul who were Jews said they wasn't doing it. Mm -mm. You ain't going to make me side with you with your mean and hateful self. I'm not killing the priest of God, but the Edomite did. You know why? Because he had no connection with God either, just like Saul didn't. And that, you know, I don't fear man. But I'm telling you, if we were going to fear, fear a man, you better fear a man who don't know God because there's nothing in his heart to stop him from doing evil. They will kill men, women and children, innocent men, women and children. I'm talking about innocent. And that is what we are getting ready to read. That is getting ready to happen. Now, we just read that Doeg killed 85 priests that day. 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That's what priests wore. They wore sleeveless, sleeveless garments that were called ephod. E-P-H-O-D. That's what priests wore. And this Edomite killed 85 priests along with their wives. Yes, priests were married and children. And we are getting ready to read it. Verse 19. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests. That's where they lived. 
And it was a, it, uh, look, Nob was a wealthy city too. So the priests were wealthy, but they were men of God. If they were not, the Bible would tell us because they told us when the priests were corrupt. They never mentioned that Elimelech was corrupt. Let's pick up at verse 19. Uh, it, it's appearing that I'm able to get through this. And he struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants. Also oxen, donkeys and sheep he struck with the edge of the sword. He killed the women who were the wives of the priest. Yes, priests were married. Yes, they were. God never said priests couldn't marry. That's man-made in America. If you become a priest, you can't marry. God, for number one, God removed the priest from the new covenant. So the, that people hate when I say this. That's why I'm hesitating, but I, I'm outspoken. So the Catholic church is really operating on their own traditions. Have nothing to do with God. Yeah, has nothing to do with God. That's why you see pedophilia going on in the church. God is, God is not with them. Okay. Yes, I said it. God is not with them. But back then when he used priests, because the priesthood wasn't eliminated until Jesus died and uh, rose from the grave and the new covenant was ushered in and Jesus is the high priest and we don't have any more priests in the church. We are the priest. All the disciples are the priest. And you can read that in first Peter. We are a royal priesthood. We are individually priests. So we don't need priests. We don't need nobody to go behind the veil to speak on our behalf. We have free access to God, the God who created the heavens and earth because of Jesus Christ, what he did on that cross. Yes, he opened the door for us to go directly to God. So that's why we don't need priests anymore. That's why we don't need them. Okay, let me read 19 again, because I want this to sink in how evil Saul was and God was not with him. And he, he who, the Edomite, Doeg, struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, all oxen, everything they owned, donkeys and sheep, who struck, he struck with the edge of the sword. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I cried when I first read this. But thank you, Lord, for getting me through that because the people need to hear it. Verse 20, but one son of Elimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David, meaning he fled to run and tell David what just happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, verse 21, Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And I want you to listen to uh, how David took this. Okay, verse 22. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew one, one that day when Doeg the Edomite was there. Remember, Doeg was there when he was talking to the priest that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. David is blaming himself for the death of the priest and the entire town of Nob. Because for number one, he lied to the priest and didn't tell the priest that Saul was chasing him to kill him uh, for no reason, really, so that the priest could at least have protected himself and his, and his small city of Nob. And, and, but it's not David's fault because you have to remember 
He may be accepting blame, but you have to remember, David didn't kill them. Saul did. So you don't side with evil. Now, let's go to chapter 23, the last chapter. So that means we have covered chapter 19, 20 to 122 and 23, because I'm going to finish chapter 23. And yes, we are over an hour. Okay, verse one. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kela and are plundering the threshing floors. Plundering mean robbing. They are robbing um, the threshing floors of their goods. Verse two. So David inquired of the Lord. Yes, David went to the Lord for help, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men, verse three, but David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Verse four. So David consulted with God again. Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, arise and go down to Keilah. For I will give the Philistines into your hands. See, this is why David was so famous. He believed God. He didn't doubt God. When God told David something one time, David did it. Remember when he defeated Goliath? He said, you come with a sword and, and all your armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Woo! I get full when I think about that. David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord because David is a man who believed God. He was a man after God's own heart. Okay, verse five. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus, David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. Verse six. It came about when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah that he came down with an ephod in his hand. Verse seven. Here go delusional Saul again. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. Now, did y'all hear this? We all know by now God is not with Saul. He's with David. So Saul is delusional just because, and I need to say that right here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just because someone says God is with me or they are representing God, that doesn't mean God is with them. Their actions, Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. It doesn't matter that they claim to be a man of God. It doesn't mean that they are. Saul is not claiming to be a man of God. He's claiming to be king, but he's claiming God is, is on his side. No, he's not. God didn't deliver David into Saul's hands. So uh, let's keep reading. Verse eight. So listen to whose side God is on. Okay. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Verse nine. Now, David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Talking about the robe, the garments that priests wear. Verse 10. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel. Hallelujah. Your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account, to destroy the city just to get to David to kill him. Verse 11, will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? David is asking God, 
Will the men of Keilah turn me over to Saul out of fear? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant, talking about himself, because David is a servant of God. And the Lord said, he will come down. Yeah, he will come down. Verse 12, then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. So what God is saying to David, yes, you need to get up out of there. But had David not consulted with God, God still would have provided a way to protect David. But David consulted with the Lord, which is what we should be doing. Okay, I do this all the time. Verse 13. And when I say I do this all the time, I'm talking about consult with the Lord when I know I'm in danger. Okay. And the Lord talks back to me through scripture. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Verse 13. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. So I'm going to ask you this. And yes, I'm being sarcastic. So God had delivered David into Saul's hand, Saul said, for those of you who listen to Saul. So God delivered David into Saul's hand. No, God delivered David out of Saul's hands. Okay, verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, him who David, every day. But God did not deliver him, him who David into his, his who Saul's hand. And I will tell you right now, because it fits. If you feel something is not right with you, consult with God. And I'm only talking to Christians. Yeah. Consult with God. Okay. And God will deliver you out of the hands of your enemies. He's done it for me. I'm telling you, he's done it for me. I consult with God all the time. And that's how and why I am delivered. Okay. Verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Herosh. Herosh is another uh, place in, in Judah. Okay. Verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, here go Jonathan again arose and went to David at Heresh and encouraged him in God. Yes, he did. He encouraged David in God. Verse 17. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father will not find you and you will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father knows that also. This is the reason right here why Saul is trying to kill David. Saul knows that God chose David to be the next king of Israel. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the reason he's trying to kill him. So I say today, uh, even though the secret service has been appointed to and assigned to protect Biden, you better watch out for Trump. We are dealing with a different breed here. There has never been a president in the history of the United States that refused to leave office because he is just simply a narcissist. He refuses to be defeated at any cost. He doesn't care about the law. Every president 
in all of my over 50 years, I stopped counting after 50, <laughs> that I know of that refuse literally to accept defeat, refuse to have a peaceful transition with the president-elect and refuse flat out to, to leave office. And the Capitol Police, who has to do their job, has an obligation to remove Trump if he don't remove if he don't remove himself come January 20th. And I say to those of you who are listening, if you don't like what I'm saying, don't listen. But you will not shut me up because I'm working on behalf of God. Oh, yes, I'm speaking truth into power. And at the end of the day, God removed Trump just like he made sure in the end Saul was removed. He's going to make sure Trump leave office. Now let's pick up at verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, talking about Jonathan and David again. And David stayed at the Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. Verse 19, then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hashilah? which is on the south of Jasmion. Yeah, of Jasmion. Some of these uh, words in Hebrew, even though they were translated to English, are still hard to pronounce. Uh, but I'm doing my best. Okay, verse 20. Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. So what they plan to do is capture David, and bring him to Saul. But what they don't realize and what they don't understand is that God is protecting David and they won't be able to do any of that. Okay, verse 21, Saul said, may you be blessed of the Lord for you have had compassion on me. Compassion on his evil? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, verse 22, go now, make more sure and investigate and see his place where his hunt is and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is very cunning. No, David is just being protected by God. He's a smart young man, but he is being protected by God. Verse 23. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty and I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Messing with Judah. Because see, the lion came out of Judah. Jesus is the lion that came out of Judah. So you can't destroy Judah. I can tell you that. Verse 24. Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Moon in the Arabah to the south of Jezumun. Verse 25, when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moam. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Moam. Verse 26, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, not trying to kill him because you got to remember David was a mighty man of war. He defeated every army he came up against. So he could have been defeated Saul and his army. So let's read the latter part of verse 26. 
For Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But how many of y'all know God is protecting David? Okay. Verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. While Saul was preoccupied trying to kill David for no reason other than jealousy and rage, the Philistines saw an opportunity for them to come and steal from Israel. Okay, verse 28. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called that, that place the Rock of Escape. See, because that was the rock that allowed David to escape from Saul. Yeah, yeah. So let's conclude with the very last verse, verse 29 of chapter 23. Okay. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of Injidi. Okay. Yes, David was protected. He was in the stronghold of Injidi. Now, Injidi. It's an oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. It's about 14 miles east of Ziph, okay, where there is, it is a, a fresh water spring and lush vineyards, making sure David and his men ate well. It's standing in stark contrast to the surrounding wilderness, okay? Now, the limestone that dominates this region is permeated with caves, which provided good hiding places for David and his men. They were well protected and they were well fed. And God made sure of that. Now, we will cover chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27 tomorrow. Yes, I am making a promise because we don't want to get off track. Okay, we want to conclude this series by next Saturday. So, with that said, you guys know I end my episodes with a message about the coronavirus. We are still in the midst of this pandemic. We are experiencing a spike in every country on the planet, especially in the United States. So if you must go out in public, wear your mask in case you are asymptomatic, you can protect another person. And if everyone wears a mask, we are all protected and we need to practice social distancing, which simply means physical distancing. You should stay at least between six and eight feet apart from others. Okay. And I must say this, if you don't have to go out, don't go out. Some people love the outdoors, but this is not the time for you to express your love for the outdoors. I'm a Christian with great faith a minister of the God of Israel. I am a minister of the gospel and I have great faith and I still don't go out right now because of this pandemic. Yeah, you heard me right. Yeah, because of this pandemic, God protects me. I have faith that I will never catch it. And in the end, me and God's people will still be standing. Yeah. That's how I feel. That's my beliefs. But I want us to be safe. We need to flatten the curve. And every time there's a holiday, people forget about the pandemic. 
They gather in large groups and, and here the virus is passing from one individual to the next because you guys are hugging and kissing each other. And that is how the virus is spread. Okay. So until tomorrow, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.